finding out that your HSP can be very validating for a person in a work environment. They're like, man, why can't I be as productive as my other coworkers? Or why am I having a hard time? everyone. Welcome to Open Mind Night, a show that talks about everything mental health and mental illness related. I'm your host, Robin Tomanaha, licensed marriage and family therapist. Joining me on this episode is my guest, Marion Formantes, licensed marriage and family therapist. Her pronouns are she, her. She is a Filipino-American art therapist in private practice in California, an HSP, highly sensitive person, and cat mama. Hi, Marion. Hello. Hi. Thanks for being here. Hey. Oh, quick correction. My last name is Formanis. Formanis. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry about that. Anyway, <laughs> thank you for correcting me. <laughs> Your Filipino accent. I'm like, wait, I didn't really know Tagalog, but I'm like, where did that come from? So thanks for, um, thanks for doing this. I'm really excited to have you on and talk about, talk about a bunch of different stuff, specifically your specialties and the things, um, the clients that that you work with. I want to talk about the HSP stuff because I know like that is like something that I think I learned more about like in 2020. But first, I'd like to talk a little bit about art therapy. Kind of like, you know, could you explain um kind of what art therapy is and how that differs from talk therapy, which I think what people usually think of when they think of therapy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I went to graduate school for art therapy and my MSC license. Uh, so kind of them together using the processing you might use with talk therapy. But the the unique thing about art therapy is that it uses art materials to further the therapy process. Um, so we're processing at the same time and there's art making. Um, and I use the word art making. I don't say like, oh, we're going to create like art masterpiece or anything. Um, so I really tried to let people know it's like you don't need any art experience to engage in art therapy. You know, any art level is great. Um, I might talk to people about if they've had any adverse art experiences, like maybe they've had like a mean art teacher growing up and like, I don't want to do art anymore. I'm not good at it. Um, and I try to encourage them like any art level is great. And I usually say like, you know, one of the phrases I say is use color, science and shapes to express what you're feeling. So it, it in some ways lets people off the hook. Color finds and shapes, you know, we can make kind of circles. You know, I've had clients make really like meaningful work from just like circles, you know, talking about their family or something. So no need to feel like, oh, I'm going to draw stick figures, you know, I'm like, great. You know, I could draw, I draw stick figures too. So I really encourage people to, you know, not feel intimidated by the art process. Um, it's more for us to find deeper meaning with our therapeutic processing along with uh, talk therapy. Yeah, that makes sense. I like too how you said art making because you're right, it can feel intimidating or like, like you said, people might have experience with like art class or worried about like 
how good of like an artist, you know, they are, but really this is not um, what it's about. It's actually something that's very therapeutic and healing. Is it, um, is it something that adults could use? as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I, you know, I actually started with a lot of child experience and then I transitioned to working with adults, but you know, it, it does work for both populations. I might do, um, you know, some different types of interventions with adults um, and maybe not so much glitter and stickers, but if you love glitter, cool, you know, we could use that with adults. Uh, but, you know, kind of the basic three art materials I've been taught to start with is like markers, colored pencils, and oil pastels. So those are the three that I usually start with, see how people are. And then we can also add things like collage, which is just like magazine image cutouts that I kind of curate or like put together for you to choose. And some adults really enjoy that because like, I don't have to make anything. I just choose an image and I glue it. Great, you know? So that's some of the ways that I may uh, engage with art therapy with adults. And like I said, it's just for deeper processing. For some people, if they're used to a script, they're used to saying the story about, you know, their childhood, you know, they may not get into deeper processing because they got the script, you know, but if we go into it using art, then they different things may come up for them or they may discover, oh, wow, okay, I didn't even realize that because we're using the other part of the brain to access that. That is really cool. Yeah, you're right, because there's like the left part and the right part, right? And they do different different things. So it actually touches on another part, which helps kind of take it to a deeper level, it sounds like, and really um, unearth and process some more stuff, which is wonderful. Now that, you know, I can't believe we're like over two years into this pandemic and us doing like the video life, work from home life, does it look different or what does it look like, you know, with like video therapy? I think a lot of people, you know, now are, we're continuing to use video therapy, but like, as far as like when art, when it's art therapy, what does that look like? Yeah. I think that presented really unique challenges, especially having to adjust like all of us to it quickly. I think what I've done, you know, just when I had started, I was like, okay, what do you got at home? <laughs> do you have pens? Do you have highlighters and crayons hanging around? Um, you know, and we use, you know, just what paper kind of computer printer paper, whatever they have, you know, and then, Usually when I have them making art, I observe the art making experience. So usually I stay pretty quiet while they're doing it. So they have a chance to go into the experience. And I ask them to kind of tilt their camera down. If someone's really tech savvy, they put two cameras, you know, but um, usually like, can you tilt it down so I could kind of see, you know, how they're engaging with art. So if they're, you know, if they do this part and then they kind of wait a while, they think they do this part, you know, or if they do it like really hurriedly. So that's the part of like, why I would like to see the art process. It's not a terms of judgment. And so it's also guiding them along that. Um, and I always like to tell people as well, art therapy is not, I'm not gonna like interpret it. It's not gonna be like tarot cards or anything. So if you're like, hey, what does this mean? That's not exactly what we do. <laughs> so what we do is like, after you're done creating, I might observe like, oh, I noticed you use like the, the blue right away like how did you know to use the blue or what does this part mean to you so I don't tell you blue means blah 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 so it's for them to go further into the experience and explore what it means for them you know using the art so we do kind of talk processing after the art making um, in regards to the art that is really neat I think yeah with colors and or just anything like I think as therapists it's important for us to do that like 
because it can mean different things for different people, right? Whether it's the colors or like how, you know, how fast they're moving or not. And really like we kind of observe that and just like invite them to share what it means, you know, what their experience is. Yeah. And, and two, that also, you know, this also goes to show, you know, I think when the pandemic originally happened, those of those who were not doing video therapy before, there was some questions on like what it would look like in general. And it sounds like including with art therapy, it's just through a different means, but it's doing the same things. It's just through video. And so it's, it's very much doable. Yeah, I would say the one thing that I miss, which, you know, I think we all there's different trade offs to video versus in person Mm -hmm. is being able to provide like the art materials for people. So, you know, if I'm hearing that they're going through this certain thing, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this material would be great. Bring it out of my closet and can use it with them. Um, But we don't always have access to that. And also, you know, setting out art materials and having it set up a certain way extends the therapeutic container. So they feel like taking care of, there is a sense of like, okay, like I always tell them like, oh, should I clean up? I'm like, it's okay. You know, that's my job to help contain, you know, what you've expressed here. So that's the thing I miss a little bit. Like I'm like, usually the artwork in person, I will take and put in their own folder to let them know that I'm holding on to it, kind of keeping this confidentiality. In some ways, if it's a really deep artwork, Sometimes that feels really great for clients. Like, oh, I made this. Please take it. <laughs> like, I don't want to touch it anymore. So I have put it out. Like, if clients are like, I, this artwork's so deep, I'm like, you can mail it to me if you want. No one's picking me up on that. But, you know, that is a way of sending, extending the therapeutic container is like, I can take this artwork and we can keep it in a spot that's, you know, safe. Um, and we could return to it if you want, or we can never return to it if that's what you want as well. So I think that's another helpful thing to have. And I think I was actually thinking about, and I think this is something I'm going to be doing is creating an art box for my clients that's curated. So when we begin therapy, I get a sense of what they're going through and what certain art materials may best help support them. So if it's looser materials like watercolor or, you know, of course, those basic threes I talked about, including that in the container so that that could be the therapeutic container that I'm sending to them. So they can kind of open it up and, oh, okay, these are the things, Marian, that would kind of help help me with my goals. Um, you know, and also they'll have like a sketchbook or a place to put those things that come up in therapy and say, okay, it's in the box. So that's another containment for them. So I'm working on that, you know, and I think uh, it'll be really helpful for my clients. They have more to access than like maybe colored pencils they just purchased for themselves. I think that's a wonderful idea. And it's too, like, kind of like you said, like, it's curated for the individual client. I know, like, in general, kind of like subscription boxes became a thing all of a sudden. I almost think of it similar in that sense where you kind of it's like something for you that like gets delivered. But in this case, it's something therapeutic and it's specific to like your therapy work with them. That is really, really neat. Yeah, I get excited about subscription boxes. So I can imagine someone opens it like, oh, whoa, what did I get from my therapist? So it's a way of still having that connection, even though we're physically not together. It's like, oh, this is something that I've created for you that's coming for you. Yeah, I think that sounds like, too, um, a really wonderful way to, like, establish rapport even. So I have a lot of questions about HSP. Um, Go for it. (laughs) And, you know, I think... I don't know if it's me because like being a therapist, I, I do 
know some, but some information on it, but I think it's still kind of coming around in general. And I kind of wonder if there are people who maybe are HSP, but they might not know. Could you explain what HSP is? Yeah, that's cool. Okay. <laughs> that's a very loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, you know, first I'll start off as highly sensitive people, letting people know it's not a diagnosis. So it's mm-hmm. not depression. It's not PTSD. Mm-hmm. It is like a temperament, temperament type. Um, that makes up 15 to 20 percent of the population. So since it's such a big percentage, it's not diagnosis. You know, it's just our brains functioning differently than perhaps other people are. So and uh, I think a lot of research comes from Elaine Aaron. So I, I read her book and that's what's informed my work with clients. And then finding out myself, I'm like, oh, I'm an HSP. All right. So I have this lived experience of like, that totally makes sense. That makes sense. Before I like, I would do like Myers-Briggs, you know, and I know some people are like really identify with that. And I felt like, oh yeah, that works for me. But when I heard about HSP, I was like, yeah, that really works for me. And I I can learn how to adjust my life to fit the temperament I have. So I yeah. think that's different. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, and, and us being adults, I think um, what comes to mind is like work, because that's like predominantly what, you know, or maybe even family, but work, you know, how does that like come into play or does it pose any particular challenges like HSP and, and kind of like work? Yeah, and I think that's something I've experienced as well. And, you know, just running through real quickly the kind of basic four categories for HSPs, it's a DOES acronym, D-O-E-S. So <laughs> make sure I don't screw up these letters, but I know that generally. So D means depth of processing. So if you find that you're thinking about things a lot more than, like, maybe people around you, like, it takes you a while to, like, make a decision, that's kind of depth of processing. You may need time to do more of that. Um, and then O sounds for overstimulation. So if you notice your environment with like bright lights or loud noises and you feel like kind of overwhelmed by that more than other people, then, you know, that could be a sign that like you're an HSP and it's different than anxiety. It's just kind of noticing like, oh, wow, I'm more affected by these things or maybe, wow, I feel tired all of a sudden, you know, so there might be that feeling of that and you're like, what, why? And then E means for empathy. So if you feel like you're a very empathetic person, you know, you feel like maybe you cry at certain movies or things like that, you know, that maybe other people are like, oh, it's okay. <laughs> you know, if you might notice that you maybe feel more emotional than other people, you know, in your life. And then S stands for sensory something. <laughs> I think I have to get that one. But I think it's it's similar to O is where like you might notice you will make this environment perfect if I turn on this light or something like that. Like you're really attuned um, to your environment. Yeah. Yeah. So going back to your work question. It's like, say, for example, you have like open cubicles at work. So you hear all the noises, you hear all the conversations and you're like, oh, my gosh, it's getting hard to focus. Or you maybe you don't think it's hard to focus at the end of the day. Like, why am I so depleted? I didn't, you know, do too much or like, you know, or, or if you're getting constant interruptions at work, you know, and you do work where you really have to like think deeply. But, you know, someone comes in and has a question and you're off track and like, OK, you have to get back you know, into the swing of things, you know, that can be really uh, disruptive for HSP more than a, someone that who is it. So there are some things to adjust for that. And I also think of like, uh, for example, like when I worked at the hospital, like you're going from like one room to another, there's a lot of different things going on in a hospital. Like, how do you recalibrate? How do you get your grounding? 
Um, so I was talking to Robin about this earlier, you know, something helpful is just if you have the chance to close your eyes for 30 seconds, mm -hmm. you know, if there's a place where you could just, you know, it's a little bit to kind of reduce that stimulation, get a little bit grounded and yeah. just have a little breath and then return to your work day. Yeah. Kind of like, um, like you said, like the recalibration in a way, kind of doing different, something like that and engaging in something like that to kind of help with that process. Cause yeah, like all the four things you described, like, especially if someone's experiencing like all of them or like, you know, different intensities of it, like that's a, that's a lot. You know, I, that, that sounds like a lot in, in general. And then like, you know, in a work environment, you know, where, maybe it's demanding or there's a lot happening and stimulation while you're having this like internal process. That's a lot to manage. It sounds like. Yeah. So I think even finding that that your HSP can very, very validating for a person in a work environment. Oh man, why can't I be as productive as my other coworkers or why am I having a hard time? You know? So I think it could be very validating. And uh, I suggest people take Elaine Aaron on her website has like the self test that you could take to say, Hey, are you highly sensitive? So I think that's really helpful. It's really easy kind of test, but to get a better sense of like, oh, okay, I might be. Let me look further into it. And that's, I think that's kind of around how I found out for myself. I was like, oh, you know, I don't know. Like, yeah, I'm empathetic, you know, and et cetera. But then as I, they ask different questions, like, yeah, that makes sense for me. So I think, you know, it's just, just even finding out that that's something that may apply to you and mm -hmm. then being empowered to be like, oh, okay. So it's not a default that I have. It's just like my brain and my body function differently. Right. Just for that. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense, actually. And two, you know, since we're speaking about jobs, I can't help but think about jobs within like the Asian American community, you know, or even expectations. Sometimes there's some of that from family. But yet those, you know, I'm speaking kind of more of like, you know, maybe not everybody, but maybe some like have, you know, the expectations that they, like you mentioned hospital, right? Like I think of like nurses and doctors, like that's super demanding or like really like working like 40 hour work weeks or, you know, but yet it, that would be a hard fit, you know, as an HSP. You know? Yeah. I think, you know, generalizing, of course, it's hard to encapsulate, you know, all of the Asian American experiences or even immigrant experiences is that there may be expectation of like just productivity um, or working over like emotional experience, you know. So, for example, I was called a sensitive kid by my family. So it's like, OK, well, where does that place me if I'm very sensitive and it's hard, you know, I may have more emotions about something. And as I'm going about trying to do school and like, so how does my family think about my emotions? How do they interact with me when they see me experiencing these that may be different than how they're experiencing it? And then makes them wonder like, okay, what kind of job can she have? And she's this emotional kiddo, you know, she's, you know, she's having all these experiences. Like, what does that look like for her? You know? Uh, maybe it's not being a nurse and they, well, I guess nurses are very empathetic as well, but like in certain environments, making them wonder like what could fit for her or even worse or not, I don't want to say worse, but even more challenging is parents or family that want to shut down that part of a HSB and say, you know, don't be emotional. What's wrong with you? Like snap out of it. You know, how do, how does a HSP that's Asian or an immigrant, how do they, you know, come to terms with that? Yeah. Yeah. Especially if it's like, cause you're feeling all these things, right. And you're having this internal process and experience, but yet there may not, 
you may not be in like a system or, you know, household or family that really like talks about things or, or addresses, addresses it like that. That sounds really tough, you know, but yet you're experiencing these things. Like what a really odd experience, you know? Yeah. So I think that that can be, um, you know, the challenge with being kind of um, Asian American or immigrant is these certain um, rules or beliefs from the culture about the way you should be, which isn't, doesn't always feel congruent with being an HSP or even acknowledging that you're HSP. So there might be a little bit of denial, like, really? You have to try harder, you know? So there, there's a sense of like, should I kind of just be my nature of being HSP or do I follow along with my family? It doesn't have to be, you know, dichotomy. But, you know, I think that's what comes up for a lot of my clients is that tension of like, who am I? Who should I be? And how do I still be connected to my family, even though it doesn't quite fit what they expect me to be? Yeah. And I think there's still a long way to go, you know, but, and it's so, and I always find it so interesting because like we are human and, and, and we have emotions like all of us do, right. In some sort of way with different emotions and we're affected by different things, understandably, you know, by what we go through, but yeah, it's very difficult if there isn't an environment that really just acknowledges that you know and I think it sounds like maybe for some clients it's kind of doing that you know themselves and then yeah then the giant question then becomes like how does this fit into my life or how do how do I navigate these relationships now because this is very much a part of me and you know I resonate with or I identify with yeah so I think I encourage them also to think about maybe later on in our work is building a community maybe Mm -hmm. finding out like getting to know um, other HSPs are joining like an HSP Facebook group. So then they feel like they have that support, even though if people in their lives are non HSPs. And, you know, it's quite possible <laughs> that there's a lot of other, you know, the 80% of the population that's non HSP that they find people are also HSPs. Like, whoa, I think that's another thing that feels very healing is that they find someone that's, okay, wow, you, you experience the world like I do. And to have that community or even find non HSP friends that want to learn more. Or even family that want to learn more and then like get it. Like, oh, okay. Like you, your brain works this way or this environment is most helpful for you. So how can I support you? So mm-hmm. that's thing, that's something I also encourage my clients to do is build that. Um, so it just doesn't feel like the singular experience of like, I'm an HSP. Okay. So this is just me. So they like, they have that connection. And then, you know, it's fun to learn also other hacks from other HSPs. Like, Oh, like, I think I was looking for like earphones the other day and I went to my community and asked like, okay, which one's like really friendly for that? Uh, you know, it's like HSP thing is like sometimes like certain sensations, like a tag on our clothing can bother us. So to have those recommendations from my community is like great. I love doing that, like getting, oh yeah, this one worked really well for me. I'm like, oh, try that out, you know? Yeah. Support is so huge and understanding from others. I wonder if there's any like support groups like I know there's like Facebook there's like a lot of Facebook groups for different topics which is wonderful I wonder if there's any like virtual groups out there for HSP yeah Yeah, there are groups I think there was an eight-week group that I actually engaged with myself it was not a therapy group it was like a psychoeducational group a support group where we can Mm -hmm. connect each other and there was facilitators so that was a really wonderful experience because each week you would get like 
recordings of like, here's something to listen to about a different aspect of being HSP. That's wonderful. The tag thing um, is such a good point. I think I remember at one point there was like a, I forgot the name of the brand, although I think it was for kiddos, but it was like a tagless clothing brand too, because that is bothersome. So I wonder if there's like more and more of those, you know, out there that like, because who wants to deal with a tag? And, and two, if, if you're very sensitive and like more tactile with it, then that's like super bothersome, even if you cut it, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if more brands could get aware of that, you know, and, um, you know, I also mentioned there's like celebrities that are HSP, um, you know, if that interests people like um, Alanis Morissette, she's a pretty big like celebrity that acknowledges that she's an HSP, you know? So for someone to also feel like, oh man, HSP is going to hinder my life. I mean, look at what she's done with her career yeah. and also acknowledging she's the HSP. So, you know, just one of those things for people to, to get that validation and yeah. to like understand it's not something that's going to hinder you recognizing that you're HSP, but you know, and you know, there's like adjustments you can make to make it like, well, more be easier for you to kind of navigate the world. Yeah. As you described those for um, those four categories earlier, I was listening and you were describing maybe some like, you know, challenges, you know, but like the other part of me, um, as I was like processing what you were saying, as you're saying it was like that there might be like a lot of positives too, and living like to experience the world in that way, like to be like so empathetic. Like, I think there, it sounds like there's like also multiple positives, even though there are some, maybe some challenges, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's also what I encourage my clients to see is like, yes, there are challenges and it comes kind of as a package deal. There's challenges, but also you get these awesome things as well that maybe other people in your life, non-HSPs don't have that you could share with them, you know? So I know sometimes people feel guilty like, oh, you know, I wish my partner didn't have to adjust to me being this and this or having to think through decisions. Like they would really feel down about that. You know, like, yeah, you know, and that's something we could help work through or you know communication skills or whatever you need and you also have these things that you bring to the relationship so instead of thinking oh I'm a burden to my friends and my family just like okay yeah they're all these things that we have that are you know things that we can adjust to and learn how to interact with each other and you have these things that maybe not everyone else does definitely was there anything I like didn't ask about that you want to bring up um, I think, you know, one of the things is like, sometimes people just ask, like, what going back to art therapy is like, well, what is it like? Like, what are you going to do with me? You know, like, oh, am I just going to draw for you? Like, I think that's usually the sense, you know, I've gotten that, that, to that question as well. And like, I think kind of basically how running through is like, first, we kind of do an assessment session, our first initial one. And that's usually like asking like historical questions, you know, getting a good idea of like, what's been going on in your life, you know, what what's currently um, happening for you? What are you experiencing? So that was more like just a, a talk session that we get an idea because there's just a lot of information. And then the second session, um, you know, I'll engage with them and like get a sense. Usually what I do um, and other art therapists might do it differently is like we might chat about like how are things going for you? How are those um, challenges that you talked about last time? Um, and then I get a sense of like an intervention so I, or art directive that I might provide to a client. Um, so for example, it might be, like I said before, using color lines and shapes. Uh, can you express your experience with work this week? Something like that. And they're like, okay. So they have their art materials, which whether the ones that are provided or the ones they have at home. 
And I say, okay, let's try the colored pencils today. Or let's try the three that I had mentioned. From those, I, if, if they're having a hard time starting, like maybe just choose a color that stands out to you. Choosing that or choosing a medium that stands out to you. And, you know, I'm like, no, right or wrong. I always say, no, right or wrong. I won't be like, oh, no, red, no. <laughs> so I always tell them, no, right or wrong. And so they could start doing it that way. So using the color lines and shapes. And like I said, I'm usually pretty quiet during that, ex that experience for them to be really into that other side of their brain while they're expressing themselves um, and just quietly observing the process. And then I might ask them to find a place where they feel like they're in a sense of like completion, that they come, you know, created what they want to create. Um, so usually this will be like, depending on how much they make, uh, you know, art making they're into, it's like 20 minutes of our session of the art making. Um, and then after that, the rest of our time is processing. So asking them, like I asked, said that, like, you know, oh, I observed that you did green first. How was that for you? Or, you know, um, or I just might ask in general, how was that experience of creating for you today? You know, oh, man, I didn't expect all this to come out or, you know, something like that. Or it was really scary or we'll process that as well. Um, or I didn't like the crayon or, you know, all we can process all those different things, you know, and then we kind of explore it further, you know, asking different questions relating back to the artwork. And I think it's really helpful too. It's like you have this thing outside of yourself. So it's a little bit, in some ways, a little bit less scary for people because they can talk about this thing rather than, oh my gosh, I'm blah, blah, blah. I'm blah, blah, blah. You know, that they have this externalization of it's on the paper. Let's talk. Oh, and I'll return back. Like, let's talk about this section. I'll usually ask them to like hold it up, too, you know, or if our internet connection is kind of wonky, like send a picture to me so that we can, you know, look at it together, you know, and then, uh, you know, at the end, I may ask them to create a title or use three words to describe it. So that's connecting the right and the left brain. So furthering that processing of, of what they created. Um, so hopefully what that experience is that they assign meaning to what they created and they get deeper into oh yeah, my work week was actually really, was really tough. Or it might, the opposite, that might be like, whoa, okay, you did a lot of actually colors where you said they were positive for you. And and then just this bit is is feels negative to you. And they'll observe, oh, okay, yeah, actually, yeah, there are these other things. So I think that really helps us. You know, I said, I keep repeating the word, it's just going deeper. And always, I think I say to the client's consent, you know, I'm always like, is this okay with you? Even with what I say, like, does this fit for you? If I observe this, does this, does this fit for you? You know, is this something that you are in agreement with? Or so I always check in on that too. So like, like I said, it's really not about assumptions of me saying, oh, you did this and this, therefore you're this. Absolutely try to go opposite of that experience and really give them the space to observe and make those meanings and understandings for themselves. Yeah. Thank you for walking me through that process. I think that's helpful for the listeners and the viewers as well, because just no, a question is, what does therapy look like? But also specifically, like, what does our therapy look like? So that was super helpful for you to explain all those pieces, um, because it is important for people to know what to expect or kind of what what it's going to be like. And that also makes it feel a little bit more, you know, comfortable, maybe walking in, you know, or signing on to the video. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and some art therapists might have a different style than me or we're trained a little bit differently. But I think generally that's kind of like the basic. Right. Some people might just start off. I'm going to start art making. OK. You know? So it also depends on personalities, too, if they want to start doing that way. But, yeah, I think that's kind of like the 
the kind of like basic like structure I like to to share with my clients. Got it. Before we end, I know it sounds like there's a possible, you're possibly going to do that art curation box, maybe with some clients in the future. Is there anything else um, you're working on or taking on um, that you want the listeners or viewers to know about? I think, you know, I just wanted to say that like I have spots available in my private practice now. Um, I practice in California. So even though I'm located in Los Angeles, if you're in the Bay Area, you know, I'm able to support you. So I am doing all telehealth right now. So that, that box, I think, will be really helpful to to share with others. And my website is CuriousPurpose.com. Or Curious Purpose is the name of my practice. So that's where you could always search Marian Fermanis, therapist. And I think I should should pop up. So if you're interested in learning more, feel free to reach out. Nice. I will put your website um, in the show notes and into the description. Um, that way, the listeners and viewers can just click on it and they can go, you know, straight to your website to find out more about you. And then also, if they're interested in receiving therapy services from you and they are reside in the state of California, then they can reach out and awesome. and chat with you. Well. Thank you so much for doing this. It was a pleasure having you on. And I think we all took away so much information. And also, I'm like, now I'm wanting to do art. Just myself in general. You know, like, I think it's it's interesting because when I meet people, especially, you know, such as yourself that are very, like, passionate about what you do, like, it kind of, like, I get excited, too in a way for it. And I, and I love art as well, but I like, I paint. I'm actually a painter. Now I want to paint. So anyway, (laughs) but yeah, so thank you so much. Um, Thank you so much for being on. Thank you for having me, Robin. Thanks for listening. Hopefully this was informative or helpful. If you think this episode may be helpful to others that you know, be sure to share this episode with them. The resources mentioned and the contact information for today's guests are listed in the show notes. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, be sure to leave us a rating. If you would like to stay up to date, please subscribe to this podcast and follow the podcast Instagram, Open Mind Night Pod. Also, this podcast is not psychotherapy or counseling. If you need to speak with a professional, you should find one local to you and contact them directly. If this is an emergency, please call your local emergency number or go to your nearest emergency department.